Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Yeah, so today, Bill, um, on this podcast, I'm going to remind you that you have said so many times over the years that gratitude will change your life right and keeping a gratitude journal will will change your life can you start by talking about how that's changed you and what prompted you to keep a gratitude journal uh i don't remember now exactly what prompted me to do it um But I got in the habit a number of years ago, I mean, years ago, of keeping a journal on a regular basis. And the journal consists of three things. Uh, Part of it is just a journal, like you would keep a journal of memories and events and things that you want to hang on to. Part of it is, of course, a dream journal. I write my dreams down first thing every morning i keep up with my dreams um i think that john sanford's line about having a dream and not honoring it is like getting a letter from god and not reading it so the unconscious gifts us with these messages from a space where we could not consciously make up the content of our dreams and that that they are so rich in meaning And then every day um, in the morning, I review yesterday and I write down three things, at least three things that I'm grateful for in the preceding day. And it doesn't bother me that there's repetition in that, Um, but I write down three things. And now, uh, especially since the pandemic, and everybody has an opportunity to do this because everybody has a smartphone or a device, a watch or something that you can set an alarm on. I will look over the day that I'm planned out and I will pick a time when nothing is particularly scheduled and I will schedule another time of daily practice. You, That's during great. The day, a time to read over my daily practice, a time to sit, and a time to write in my gratitude journal again. And um, I, that it, my experience has been that if I ever hit a low spot, which we all do, I can go back and read my gratitude journal and it almost immediately transforms my state of mind. And the idea for making an appointment with myself, I got from a philosophy professor of mine in graduate school. His name is Elton Trueblood. He was a Quaker. uh, And he said that the secret of a richer life was a fuller date book. And Mm. when asked what he meant by that, he said, make appointments with yourself and keep them. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, as much as we sort of banter or badger about um, you saying a daily spiritual practice is so important, um, I think that one of the, the hardest parts of motherhood is making appointments with yourself and keeping it. Um, my daily spiritual practice tends to be in small chunks, mm-hmm. bite-sized pieces. Um, and so that means that sometimes it isn't the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sometimes I get a whole 45 minutes to practice yoga on my own. And sometimes that also means that literally this happens, that there's a kiddo on my back as I'm in downward dog, or one of my kids loves to lay under me as I come down into. Um, upward dog. My dog himself loves to come put his paws on my chest when I'm in the Shavasana or corpse meditation pose. (laughs) So even in those moments where I feel like I make appointments with myself, I'm never alone. Um, Actually, you know, one of your favorite people, Jim Finley, has this wonderful story about a young woman, probably about my age, um, who's a mother, she might be younger than I am, saying, um, I feel like I have to set my alarm earlier and earlier and earlier to get up before my kids to have this quiet me time. And it just seems like inevitably, no matter how early I set my alarm, my kid wakes up at that time and comes running in is mommy, 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 mommy. And I just can't get this alone time. And Jim Finley laughs and his sort of, I love his laugh. kind of way. And Mm -hmm. he says, well, maybe imagine it this way. Your kiddo is running into your room and that's God who can't wait to spend time with you. (laughs) That's great. So I try to keep that in mind, you know, um, especially these last eight months when I, I would love, I said to you, oh gosh, the 10 day silent meditation sounds awesome right about now. Um, it probably would challenge me very much, but, um, I'm craving some just real quiet and that's been hard to come by. There's a, there's a saying in Buddhism, chop wood and carry water Mm -hmm. and chopping wood and carrying water is a spiritual practice. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in the monastery, um, manual labor is required in many of the orders and um, it's considered part of the spiritual practice that people do. So I know that I have seen, I've not read them, but I've seen several Buddhist books directed toward motherhood as a spiritual practice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And And then there's also the saying that if the Buddha was a mother, he wouldn't have been the the Buddha. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning, but but I actually think that that's sort of a little bit denigrating to motherhood. I think um, I think one of I think the most challenging and exciting and frustrating and just just full experiences I've ever had in my life is being a mother. Um, I don't doubt that that's true for fathers too. It's I can only speak from this sort of location. Being a mother has challenged me in ways that I never could have foreseen. I didn't know that I had a short fuse before I became a mother, for example. Um, And my kids can just ignite it like that. (laughs) Um, I I don't get, I'm a fiery for sure. I have opinions, I have um, strong opinions and beliefs, but I, 
I have never experienced myself as sort of um, uh, an angry or someone who um, becomes angry easily. And, and having kids has really made me have to look at that. So um, I am grateful for so much. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful mm -hmm. that I live in this country. I'm grateful to be part of a privileged class and race. I had nothing to do with that. Um, but I have certainly reaped many, many, many benefits because of things over which I had no control. And I would be less than honest if I didn't acknowledge how grateful I am for that, for that status. I'm grateful for the family in which I grew, even though it had incredible limitations in terms of value systems. Um, both of my parents were committed to giving their children the best religious education that they knew how to do. And I've certainly benefited from that, uh, to be raised in a loving community of racists. I know that sounds very difficult to hear, but I was raised in a strongly segregated Jim Crow racist community of people who really did love their children, love their church, love their community and all that stuff. They were just not able to see very clearly. Mm. Let's put it that way. And the very things that they gifted me with, are the tools that I have used to critique them. Isn't that ironic? Yeah, it is. There, It's interesting. So I'll, I'll say too what I'm really grateful for. You're always on my grateful list. Um, I'm really grateful you say this to and for you. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about the idea of apprenticeship not too long ago, that that's, that, that's sort of an uncommon it's uncommon there. We don't, you know, in, in sort of the olden days, quote unquote, people were apprenticed to become shoemakers or apprenticed to become um, iron workers or apprenticed to become jewelers. Right. So you were sort of matched with these guides. And I know, I, I know many, many, many people who have known you over the years feel this way, this mentorship kind of relationship with you. Um, but for me, it, it, I'm grateful for the apprenticeship, I guess. Well, that, thank you. Yeah. Um, I want Mentoring to, is a very important thing. I feel like we have lost the art of that in this culture, in this way of being so individually focused that I ought to be able to figure it out, you know? Um, and so we've lost this intergenerational piece of wisdom sharing and um, benefiting from what comes before us and then passing it along to what comes after. So I'm grateful um, then. So you say I'm grateful for a class and race privilege that I didn't know or, or didn't plan for. That's been turned around a bit in my mind. Um, I'm grateful for the ability to recognize that that is so arbitrary. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for the ability to question why my race and class has been privileged and mm -hmm. my husband's wasn't. I'm grateful to be able to see those two things in tandem and see that 
what is the right phrase I'm looking for? That those two things, those things can fall away and two people from such different circumstances can love. Mm. I um, don't mean that in the colorblind way. I just mean that our circumstances did not decrease our ability to love one another. Right. I think that's a gift that you and Josh offer the world. We definitely sometimes feel like we're in this kind of grand cosmic healing project. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I don't take that lightly. So I, I, I have a couple of responses to what you say. I, I think that, you know, there are two factors that play uh, with each other as we go forward mm-hmm. in the world. One is fate and the other is destiny. Mm-hmm. And fate we have no control over whatsoever destiny we do and destiny is what allows us to use our fate um, to embody the values that you and I try to talk about on Sunday Mm -hmm. Um, and and I just want to add here because I've been thinking about this passage from the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to try to dig into on Sunday Uh, where where Jesus says, uh, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And what I'm hearing in this is a call always to go beyond where we think we are. Yeah. And I am so grateful that there is a place where I get a chance, and now with you, you with me, to work out what in the world this means. Um, that we have to keep taking steps beyond. And, and, you know, what I'm coming more and more to understand is that when we talk about living out our lives between the no longer and the not yet, uh, it implies that there's a place to get to, and I don't think there is. We're always in between. (laughs) We're always in between. But that's been, I've been writing my comprehensive um, exam A for my dissertation. And I, I kept coming up against tension as this sort of, um, so my comprehensive exam is based on a question that my 11 year old asked me, which was mommy, what is the human element? from my 11 year old (laughs) and I don't know the answer to that question, but I do think that one aspect of it is this ability to be in tension, to be in the in-between, to hold disparate, as I just mentioned between me and Josh, disparate upbringings, bring them together and be in tension with that difference while it also creates more love, you know? and, and, and Martin Luther King said that tension is necessary for growth. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin says that the world is kind of an immense groping, that tension is an inevitable piece of creation and creativity. And so it, it's sort of, and, and then, you know, with that tension, I wonder, then is integrating the no longer and the not yet mm-hmm. also part of our human element, you know, this ability to, to sit with those. Um, well, the, the, the great social question of 
not just our time, but it certainly was true in the time of Jesus and before, but um, is, is what does it mean to be human? Yeah. Because society can easily say to a certain race, a certain condition mm -hmm. of personhood, you're not human. You don't belong. You don't fit. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm thinking about how during the time of Jesus, the people who were blind, the people who were lame, the people who were considered unclean, the people who were considered demon-possessed, um, they were considered not human. Mm -hmm. You don't belong. Mm -hmm. And so the human element is, I think, having to do with answering the question is, what is it to be a human being? Yeah. I mean, this is in, in some, one of the aspects that, well, there's two things that just come up as I'm about to say this. Um, one of the aspects that comes up in cosmology is that the human is, is able to reflect on the universe, right? The human has this self-reflective self-consciousness that can sort of show the universe its beauty and also its brokenness. Mm -hmm. Um, the other aspect that I just thought, you know, is gratitude. I don't know. I mean, we could say that our dog feels gratitude when we feed them or give them a treat. I don't know. I'm not inside the mind of a dog. I don't want to say it's not, but the ability to reflect. Gratitude requires an ability to reflect. The Native American would say, we think back seven generations and we think forward seven generations. And so this ability to be in tension again between the, the forward and the back, uh, the past and the future. I had an occasion just this past week to send somebody the link to your um, blog that you wrote uh, where you talked about gratitude from the Braiding Sweetgrass book. And I know uh, because I've gotten a little bit of feedback from some people that some people were kind of tired of our always mentioning braiding sweetgrass, <laughs> but, <laughs> it's, a good but <laughs> it's, a not a, it's not only a good book, her, her expression of that expression of gratitude. I have thought how many institutions, organizations would be transformed by reading that at the beginning of their deliberations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's another example of what I mean by gratitude being transformative. And, and just anybody who's listening to this podcast, go on to the Ordinary Life website and look uh, under the blog post and look at what Holly's written about gratitude <laughs> that she took from that book. The Haudenosaunee Thanksgiving address is yeah, what it is. Yeah. And it's, and yeah. now that we're, uh, Thanksgiving, I guess this podcast will come out on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, yeah. Maybe I should try to get it out just before so people have something to listen to while they're cooking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not the only show in town, but. <laughs> and it would keep them from having family fights. Yes. Yeah. Let's <laughs> listen to this gratitude. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're not, we're, we're not gathering as a family this Thanksgiving. And I was thinking because it's the nature of my job to be involved in long range forecast, already planning for 
December and beyond as far as church stuff is concerned, what we will do as a family for Christmas. I know. Yeah, that we have seven people that live in our house. Uh, my boys, my husband, and then uh, Selah and Haley, who have lived with us for some years. That's who's going to be at our Thanksgiving table. <laughs> it's it's a first for me too to in my yeah. I cannot have a broader you know broader table, I guess. But um, there's some sadness around it. But I also have to say that I am um, well. I'm grateful for the ability to have that here. And I am also grateful for our health and in some ways looking forward to kind of having my home be the place where we do Thanksgiving. That's never happened before either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, when I, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like if I'm relating this verse where we are up to about the, um, I love the line, um, pull it all together in a vast panorama and then and then also thinking about gratitude um, and for me a, a gratitude is being is being able to think creatively to think in pictures I guess I, I have such a visual rich imagination <laughs> that keeps me entertained <laughs> and um, when I think of like this panorama I can't not think of the pictures we've seen of the cosmos and how things unfold and how stars are born, the pictures that the Hubble telescope has taken of, um, of things outside of this immediate earth um, atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And so it, in many ways, it's, I'm both, I think, I wonder, Bill, does, does gratitude relate directly to humility too in your mind? Well, I hadn't put it together like that, um, but it's obvious that it it should be. So, because so much of what we are, so many things that we are the recipients of that make us so grateful, we didn't engineer. Right. So that like ability to sort of be humbled by what surrounds us. Um, I mentioned to you that we watched A Wrinkle in Time with our kids the other day, and I'm not going to give it away, <laughs> but it's also a fantastic book that I read for the first time when I was 10 years old and reread a couple of years ago when the movie came out, and I'm now rereading again, or the sequels to it. And there's, um, in the movie, there's Mrs. Who, Mrs. Witch, and Mrs. What's It? <laughs> and um, Mrs. Witch, who is sort of like, God, in this movie, says, do you realize how many events and choices that had to occur since the birth of the universe to lead to making you exactly the way you are? So there's a kind of humble gratitude in that for me. Yeah. In the panorama of existence, we are here. And that is kind of amazing. You know, I used to, when I would go out to speak to other groups, uh, I would begin by saying, I want you to think what had to happen for you to be here today. Yeah. And I said, now most of you think that you had to set your alarm clock, get up, take a bath, get dressed and come. I'm thinking about in much more cosmological terms yeah. than that. What had to happen for you to be sitting right here today? 
And I think about all the things that had to happen for me, for example, to end up being at St. Paul's. And uh, some of the events that occurred that led me to St. Paul's constitute some of the most painful moments of my life. But it all had to happen for me to be right here, right now. Mm -hmm. And um, so in an odd sort of way, and I, of course, would never say this to somebody when they're going through some particularly painful, hard moment. But in some way, I'm grateful for those things, too, because had they not been, I would not be here. Yeah. You know, it it is interesting that... um... When I do, I, so unlike you, I, I don't have um, sort of a ritual that looks the same every day. I mentioned that sometimes it feels like taking bite-sized moments. <laughs> um, but when I do do gratitude lists, and I've not been great about that lately, um, so often what also shows up are, is being grateful for difficulty because it's, it goes back to that idea of the light is where, uh, the wound is where the light gets in. Mm-hmm. Um, and tension being in the in-between not knowing mm-hmm. you know we always have these like moments of um, we, we can point to the no longer we're in the tension and then we arrive at the not yet and suddenly we're in a new moment of being in between the no longer and the new not yet <laughs> you know so we're kind right. of always evolving towards um, towards the not yet um, right but you're right. It's not a place. It's just a kind of widening expansion of experience that allows us to hold more and more and more complexity if we stay open to it. And I want to respond to that by saying that in order to do that, we have to be willing to shed a lot of fears. Mm-hmm. Not tears, fears. <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> Maybe both. But, um, you know, here's an exercise that people can also do is to write down somewhere when you're uh, this Thanksgiving, write down five or ten, six or seven of the most important lessons you have learned in life so far. And then write down the circumstances in which you learned those lessons. And my hunch is that most of those circumstances would be really difficult ones, really painful ones, times of loss. Um, Robert Johnson, my my teacher, um, particularly in a lot of dream interpretation classes, said that th- that we all get wounded in our growing, and our choice is whether we're going to live with our wounds neuro- neurotically or heroically. And he said, if you look into the life of any really great artist or healer or teacher, you're likely to find a a series of significant wounds that they have learned to live with in a rather heroic way. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I just want to say it again. I'm really grateful for the context in which we can freely talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are a lot of churches and religious contexts where you cannot do that. Yeah. And um, 
I think that's really sad. I don't know what what the future of religion is going to be. We'll always have some form of it, but this pandemic could be giving us the opportunity to really rethink how we have some of our religious expressions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just saw on um, Instagram that um, Matt Russell, who we both love and know, and who also started Project Curate, is doing a work around um, the post-pandemic church. <laughs> what 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 has come up during this time, both in the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic as well as in what we might call a racial reckoning pandemic? Um, mm-hmm. That that is forcing churches to change and forcing churches to look differently into how they've done mm-hmm. the work. Uh, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the content of it, but um, but I think that that's an inevitable question that we have to be faced with. Anyone who attends a church as well as is in what uh, Michael Moore would, would say, middle management. <laughs> well, I think, I, I, no, Matt, let me see a video that they were working on uh, as part of this project. And it was really fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. I have no doubt. Yeah. It was really, really fantastic. I don't know when it's going to be released to the public, but it consisted of poetry and music and art and interpretation, storytelling. And it was just, it was a, a new kind of, kind of thing. We will always need um, places that can celebrate the major moments Mm -hmm. of human life, birth, death, um, unions, uh, milestones of of various kinds, seasons of the year. We've had that for a long, long time. And yet I want to say that as far as the human community, well, first of all, uh, humans have not existed that long on the planet. No. But uh, we tend to idealize ourselves and think that religion has had a lot to say throughout the course of the cosmos, and it hasn't. Yeah. We also think that we were placed here instead of born of here, you know, that we were like plucked out of some cosmic origin place and placed on this earth fully formed but we the earth had to form us and so the earth has been forming us for four billion years and that's so important to sort of like get a sense of awe about i think i think it's funny how humans are debating whether to believe in evolution or not. It's like, uh. <laughs> I mean, we're part of the evolutionary process, whether you believe in it or not. Yeah. We are, uh, w- w- you know, we're not just part of evolution. We are um, involved in the evolutionary process in a way that really doesn't matter whether we believe in it or not. Exactly. The the only reason that it's sort of, I think we're kind of required to believe in, not the only, but a primary reason is that one, you know, one of the thoughts is that humans have impacted the evolutionary process more negatively than any species Um, uh, because of our technology, because of our warfare, because of our uh, industry. um, And so 
what we do need to reckon with is that not only are we part of evolution, but we now have an impact on it to the point that the earth may have to spend an awful long time in recovery post human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that, that it, that does require of us some kind of participatory empathetic care of this place. So this is a topic for another time, but I have just formally agreed to deliver a talk, a webinar at the Jung Center Great. in January. And I have chosen as a title for that time, Hope in a Time of Disaster and Distrust. Mm. And the disaster, of course, that I'm talking about is the not just the COVID-19 disaster, but the whole ecological mess that led to COVID-19, yeah. human encroachment upon the planet in such a way that made this virus possible. Um, one of the sad things about human consciousness is our reluctance or unwillingness or inability to see how complicit we are in the very conditions that we hate. Yeah. Um, boy, there's a lot of denial that goes on around that. So it's not just about the COVID thing, although that is the specific disaster that I'm thinking about. As you and I talked Sunday, you know, after uh, I came home from our time together on Sunday, I saw another report come out about COVID projections mm -hmm. for December and January. They're catastrophic. Yeah. They're catastrophic. And there was a nurse in South Dakota mm -hmm. who reported that people who were dying of COVID saying, what have I got? Yeah. What's wrong with me? And when told that they had COVID, they said, no, that couldn't be. It doesn't exist. Yeah. That's, that's pretty sad. And then the, the distrust is, um, You've got this great divide in American society where one side says, I can't believe any thinking person would support tr Trump. And the other side says, I can't believe any thinking person would support Biden. Mm -hmm. And it's a big divide there. Yeah. Well, I, I think the divide is mostly, to be blunt, in, in white America. It's, it's not a very large divide in the rest of America, but um, white Americans are very divided in that regard. Um, that we've got a little soul reckoning that we need to do there. Like what, what are the, what do we need to sort of reckon with? What do we need to realize um, about that divide? So. So um, hope in the time of that distrust, where do we find that hope? Mm -hmm. That's my, that's the field I'm trying to play out right now. Yeah. Well, you've got a lot of rich resources. I have, um, you know, I, I know this one guy who says a daily spiritual practice helps. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joanna Macy is a wonderful um, resource there. Yeah. Buddhism is, I, I'll, you know, maybe as we wrap up, I'll, I'll share this little poem from a book called Salt by a poet named Nayira Wahid. And this may very well be what Joanna Macy talks about when she, and, and what it means to also live in between the no longer and the not yet. 
I don't pay attention to the world ending. It has ended for me many times and began again in the morning. That's great. Thank you. And one of the things that I'm so very, 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 very grateful for is you. I'm really oh, appreciative thank you. of you. So I will hope you have, all of you and you, Holly, and your wonderful family have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And that's my intention. And I hope that's true for everybody else. And I hope to see yeah. people who listen to this podcast on Sunday. I know I'll see you. Yeah. Yeah, you will. <laughs> we won't be dressed no. so wild this time, but <laughs> have a great okay, week, bye. Phil.